0: At the end of her talk yesterday, Andrea talked about wanting, the wanting mind, and she also earlier talked about turning towards reactivity. So partly based on those, I'd like to talk today about desire turning towards desire, getting to know it better, reflecting on a little bit more the nature of desire. And I think that desire is often, or at least the, the role, the place of desire in practice <clears throat> is often misunderstood. So maybe it's interesting to spend a little bit of time with it. But before I go into that, <clears throat> I'd like to say of uh, something about what it is for me to give a Dharma talk, and a little bit what I hope it's like for you to hear it, I, I don't think of Dharma talks first and foremost as a time to teach something, to explain something. Think of it first and foremost as a time to share the present moment together. It's a time for practice. It's a time for mindfulness and being present. Both for me as a speaker and hopefully for you as a listener, that you're continuing to be mindful. Not using a talk as the, you know, as the entertainment of the day. Where you can just kind of finally just give up and (laughs) settle back and hope that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. But rather a time to keep listening. But listen through the vehicle of your practice, of your meditation, of your mindfulness, of your awareness of your ability to stay present, stay in the present moment, because when we are in the present moment, that's the place where we can tap into different qualities of being, different ways of being. We can tap into, there's a whole range of things, our feelings, our emotions, our intentions, spiritual qualities. The important thing here is that we're sharing the present moment together. We're here, we're here. And I think there's something very profound about the simple statement, here we are, here we are. And for those of you who have spent sometime these last days, not here and now, but there and then, perhaps you can appreciate that it's not always so easy to be here, here and now. Sometimes there and then can seem much more important than here and now, so having the mind thinking about other times and other places. But one of the challenges of living in there and then is that then our minds are in a different place than our bodies. our body is all are always here and now can't be anywhere else and it's good from time to time or a lot of the time ideally to have the mind and the body in harmony with each other to have the mind and the body operating working together on the same track not on different tracks and so part of the training here is to bring the mind into the same time and place as your body. And part of the advantage of that is that, it's at least for me, a big part of being here, being in the present moment, is something that happens in the body. It's not a cognitive thing, in a sense, something you, you think yourself into the present moment. If you think about the present moment, then you're here. But with the body, I feel anchored in the present moment or rooted here, and to let the body support the rootedness or the anchor or the presence is a great support And as some of you know, one of uh, one of the practices I like to do that supports the mindfulness practice is I like to say the word here, here, and I use the word here as a label, kind of, when my mind is not here and now, when it's spinning out and caught up in other things, other times and places, and I I say the word here as a reminder just to be here with this, not to push away the distracted mind or the agitated mind, but to recognize that this is happening here. I might be thinking about tomorrow, but thinking about tomorrow is happening here, now. And then the sense of here is not like a command to a dog come here. But it's more like that yes that I talked about, that openness. Here, what is here? What is this? For a few moments, then I can feel what it's like to be someone who's caught in thought, distracted, or whatever's going on here. And then I have to do it again, otherwise I'll wander off some more. Here the opening to the present, arriving in the present. Here, it's like this. This is how it is now, here. For me, at least, the way I do it, it tends to take any conflict with the present moment away. I'm not in conflict with anything. Nothing's bad, nothing's wrong. I'm not bad, I'm not wrong. Situation's not wrong. Just here. The awareness receives it, open to it, as it is. And then with time, I usually find my mind begins to settle down. And then I don't do that here thing anymore. Because I'm here. Don't need to. So here we are, all of us. How is it for you to be here? Now. If we're sharing the present moment by bringing our presence into the present, What are you aware of when you're present? What does your presence open up to here and now? And I think it's my wish (coughs) that for all of us that being anchored here, being in our body, being present, being willing to be receptive and open to what's happening here, that it's a profoundly respectful thing to do for yourself, that it's an expression of respect, or of valuing yourself. You're valuable, you're important. I don't think Buddhism, Buddhist practice, in any kind of way, is supposed to diminish you or undervalue you as a person. I, I wanted to say this because the talk's going to be about desire, <clears throat> and one of the ways that <clears throat> people have interpreted the Buddhist teachings on desire would be that desire is bad. And if you're going to be a good Buddhist, no desire for you, Just cut it out. The thing is, about if you have no desire whatsoever, it's probably you're clinically depressed. <laughs> <clears throat> and so I've known people who internalize this idea, they're not supposed to have any desire if they're Buddhists, but then they end up in conflict with themselves, but because of course they have desires. And they feel bad about it, or they don't want to show their Buddhist friends. (laughs) Heaven forbid, they find out you have a desire. I think desire is completely integrated and inseparable from being a human being. They have desire. So much so that I, I, think, I think we should probably rename ourselves as a species and become human desirelings. Because we're more desiring than we are being. And we want you to have desires. I, I want you to have desires. Hidden Villa wants you to have desires. I mean, if you're sitting here and you really got to pee... We really want you to get up and go <laughs> in the bathroom. But we want you to have that desire. To sit sit here and say, Oh, no, I'm not supposed to have any desire, just receptive and allow things to come. <laughs> Whatever it is is fine. Just the important thing is to be open to it all. <laughs> this would not be appreciated. What's, what's, uh, <clears> think <throat> what we're called on to do, if we want to address this issue of desire, is to understand it better, how it works for us, <clears throat> to understand the different varieties of desire, and the ways it works, the way we hold it. It's a whole universe, desire. It's not one thing. Different kinds of desire. For me, it's meaningful that <clears throat> to consider remember that the Buddha <clears throat> belonged to the warrior class of his time. And as a warrior, I associate with the warrior kind of ethos, traditional ethos, as being one where there's a tremendous sense of dignity, self-respect. certain kind of valuing of oneself, a strength of presence. I don't think of the Buddha as someone who sat like a lump someplace and just let things passively come and go and just was fine with everything. Not that we have to become warriors, but I think there's something about the deep respect and, integ- and dignity that it's possible to have and sit here with. I think it to come to a retreat like this is a dignified thing to do. And I say that now as a, in talking about desire, that part of the Buddha had a lot of desire. He had a really strong desire. Without desire, he would not have engaged in the path of practice. Without having really strong desire, he wouldn't overcome so many of the challenges that he had to face to discover the freedom that he then taught. Without strong desire, he wouldn't have walked away from a life that, for him, wasn't working anymore. In fact, the desire you could, that he had was maybe, it included tremendous courage, strength. And the Buddha had a lot of desire in his compassion to teach. Compassion itself is a form of desire. It's a form of desire that wishes for the alleviation of suffering for someone. And it's celebrated in Buddhism, compassion, and the beauty of it, the value of it, the importance of it. It's It's a kind of desire. So there certainly are desires <coughs> that are important to have and all of you have come to this retreat based on some desires. It's possible that there were multiple desires that it prompted you to come here, sign up for the retreat to be here. And it's you know it's my <coughs> understanding or my approach to be very appreciative of the desires that brings a person to a retreat that's quite wonderful special valuable and the desire to be here might change from day to day how to be here the kind of desire you have. And part of the process of being on retreat is a purification of desire, of understanding which desires are helpful to have and to act on and which desires are not. Some desires on retreat come along with expectation, demand, conceit, Escape, resistance to things that makes us more, makes us suffer more, exhausted. And it's not uncommon for people to only discover that they're operating in some desire during the retreat or in practice when they try to do it for a long time. They realize how much they're trying to escape something, or attain something, or be somebody, and after a while it just doesn't make any sense, it doesn't work. And so it's possible to here to experience <clears throat> the unsatisfactory nature of some desires. Some of you perhaps had desire for some of the meals for seconds, and maybe you only found out after eating seconds or thirds that that desire wasn't the best desire to that desire didn't have your best interest in mind and then there are desires which are helpful to have There can be the desire to go to sleep when you're tired at night, and not stay up late. There can be the desire to go and have a snack if your blood sugar level is dropping and you're feeling weak. There can be the desire to sit here and really face and meet some aspect of yourself which you've often ignored not uncommon one for retreat for some people, is to finally have a chance to spend time getting to know deep-seated fears, which they've been distracted from or resistant to for a long time. Or to discover anger, resentment that's been buried, finally comes forth. Or discover, discover their capacity for love, or joy, or being peaceful, and so the the desire to meet these parts of ourselves that are there and spend time getting to know them, that can be a beautiful desire, get to know yourself better. Or perhaps you have the desire to get to the bottom of yourself, to get to the bottom of your suffering, to get to the bottom of your clinging, to get to the bottom of what's happening, and perhaps even to see, go through it to the other side, to experience some degree of liberation, or freedom, peace. So there are many kinds of desire, some which are helpful and some not, but there's always I think it's useful to consider, there's basically always some desire is going on. It could be subtle, it's always something. If there's suddenly a loud sound outside, you're sitting here, and your mind goes to listen to the sound probably prompted by some desire to know, what's that sound? What is that? The desire could be simple curiosity. The desire could be fueled by fear. Am I safe here? I thought it was safe at Hidden Villa. And now there's all these loud voices talking outside. Is it still safe? Is it okay? Are they going to come in here? Those questions are all forms of are, so you want something, or it could be more subtle. You could sit and you, after a meal, and your breathing is not quite as easy as it has been earlier in the day, and so you bring more careful attention to that because you want to know what's happening here, what's going on. I find it very interesting sometimes to, wherever the mind is pulled, wherever the mind goes, is to see if I can discover what's the desire that's embedded in that movement of the mind, the directedness of the mind, interest in the mind. And then it's interesting to notice the cost of having desires, when the desires are incessant, continuous. Sometimes you can feel how exhausting it is. It'd be very tiring. takes lots lots of energy to be involved in a lot of desires. The kind of the first time I saw the cost of desire was many, many years ago. I used to like to go to bookstores, <clears throat> and I was a, I was you know in my early twenties or something, and I didn't have any money at all, hardly, hitchhiking around. And um, but I still like to go into bookstores. But I noticed after a while that I'd always be really tired when I left the bookstore. So I got curious, so I started to look around why, you know what's going on when I go into bookstores that I get so tired when I leave? And, um, and what I discovered is that when I go into the bookstore, I'd see all these titles, these books. I want that, I want that, I want that, and I want that. And I had a tremendous capacity for non-stop desiring. and, and it just wanting, wanting, wanting. And it was exhausting. To want so much. Even to want things which are good to want, nice things to want, healthy things to want, but to want it too much or too incessantly or too strongly or too, it is exhausting. And then when we look at desire, <clears throat> get to know it better, there's some qualities of desire that can begin to stand out, and a very important one is the ways in which desire can come along with compulsion, where there's a drivenness in, with the desire. And You know there's compulsion or drivenness with the desire because you can't put it down. Andrea said she's the aversive type, and um, I'm probably then in contrast the desire type. Desires are like a dime a dozen for me. I can have desires, you know, so easily. But um, you know, I can have them so lightly now. I can have the not always, of course, but I can I can have a desire just kind of bubble up, and I say, oh, that's interesting dime a dozen and just let it go. And it doesn't really have any impact on me. There's no compulsion as part of it. It's so easy sometimes to have. And other times, you know, I'm hooked in and I can't let go. And sometimes (coughs) sometimes on retreat, there's something about the alchemy of maybe being settled, being calm, not being distracted by usual things like we have at home, and maybe also sometimes if you get a little bit calm or concentrated, where the mind sometimes hooks on to a really good desire, and it doesn't want to put it down. And you can feel. So then it's very interesting to notice the hook, to notice the glue, to notice the gravitational force, to notice how strong the energy is between you and the desire doesn't matter what the desire is, but it's the energy between you and the desire which is interesting. Because if you get interested in that energy or the relationship you have with the desire, then you can begin asking or finding out, is there a different way of holding the desire, a different way of being with it? So it's not judging the desire at all, it might be a good desire, it might be a Bad desire, so-called. Even a good desire you can hold in a way that causes suffering, painful. The fact that you've ju- you've spent a lot of time looking at your desire and say, "I'm justified to have this desire. This is a good one. I'm supposed to have it, and no one's going to tell me I shouldn't have it." That's fine. But even though it's just even though it's justified, if you're holding it real, if you're clinging tightly to it full of expectation and demand, you're glued to it so you can't put it down, You'll, You know it's going to be very uncomfortable. So you're sitting here in the hall, <coughs> and certainly whoever is supposed to ring the bell has long since forgotten Mm-hmm. Certainly, we've been sitting now for it must be an hour and a half. I just, how could it be so long? And so there's impatience, perhaps. But impatience is also a kind of desire. Desire for something to ring that bell. By gosh. So then you can investigate what is the glue? What's the, what's the energy between you and that desire? It's one thing to just say, oh, you know, it'd be nice if they rang the bell something else for the inside the mind, screaming, ring the bell. (laughs) So what's that glue like? What's that energy? What's the compulsion like? To make a habit of looking at that, at that relationship you have, is one of the keys to learning how to be free, and learning how to be more relaxed about things. It's also one of the ways to come closer to ourselves. And this is one of the interesting areas of desire: is the ways in which desire, how we some desires take us away from ourselves, and some desires help us get closer to ourselves. Some desires separate us separate us from other people, and some desires help us feel more connected to other people. So, how does your desires work? So, can do you feel more intimate and connected? you feel more disconnected so a classic you know disconnected kind of desire might be um, is having uh, some kind of fantasy during <clears throat> about some desire that you're gonna ha- hopefully fulfill after the retreat and you're planning for it and buying tickets for Hawaii and Considering the color of your bathing suit, <clears throat> well, you know, after delicious pineapple today, and you would have pineapple every day, so Hawaii is certainly the place to go. And, and the mind gets, you know, all this desire, and it's spinning out, spinning out in desire, fantasy, a vacation. In the process of that, you've lost touch with yourself. You're in a virtual world, a fantasy world. And sometimes people use fantasy world as a clearly as a way so they don't have to be present for themselves. They don't have to be connected. Because sometimes to be connected to oneself is not comfortable. It's an interesting <clears throat> aspect of desire is that desire usually has an object. And if you're focusing too much on the object then you can't do what Andrea said yesterday, which is turn around and look at what it's like to be desiring. That what you desire might not be, be anything to do with you, but the fact that you're desiring it has a lot to do with you. If you want to be intimate or close, bring in close and get to know yourself better, do the wonderful turn, 180 degree turn, away from what you want and then feel what it's like to be wanting. Sometimes uh, living with our living, (coughs) chasing desire is kind of like being out on a limb, far out in the thinnest part of the limb. It's not very safe out there. But if you can turn around and come back to the trunk, if you're close to the trunk or at the trunk of the tree, it's safe there, it's solid and rooted. So the same mindfulness practice has this by bringing, bringing us to the present moment, bringing us back to ourselves, we're actually coming to a place where it's a lot safer to be than if we're out on a limb, a limb of fantasy desire and expectation. So you can be desiring a vacation in Hawaii, <clears throat> or you can see that that's what's happening, and you can desire to come back and be present, be more intimate, get closer to yourself, come closer to the trunk, find out what's going on here. You can, desire, you can You can have a desire to let go of the fantasy, because fantasy is a little bit disconnected And have the desire to be more connected, more present? Or the desire to discover a different way of being, rather than being lost in fantasy. To be curious, say is there another way of being? The teachers are talking about being receptive, being open, allowing things to arise. Is there some way of exploring that, having a desire. That's interesting. That's different than how I usually live my life. I wonder if I could experiment with that or explore. What what does it mean to be open? What does it mean to allow things to happen, to occur? To be receptive, to say yes to things. What does it mean to turn towards the reactivity rather than get pushed by it? those are all desires operating, desire to do those things. So some desires take us away from ourselves, and some desires bring us closer. Some desires exhaust us, some desires cause suffering, and some desires help us with the alleviation of suffering. So the common mis- there's a common misunderstanding about Buddhism here in the West sometimes, and this the misunderstanding is the, the the idea that Buddhism teaches that desire causes suffering, and the Buddha never said that. What he said is that craving causes suffering, and craving is a particular kind of desire. It's desire that has that compulsion as part of it desire that has a driven desire desire that you can't put down it's probably why we, you suffer with craving because you know you, you know it's it's pushing you and demanding and requiring and expecting and you know there's pressure and tension as part of it contraction so craving brings suffering and part of the task of practice is to, you know, one of, one of the healthy desires to have is the desire to let go of craving. But not so that we can be desire-free and never have ever a desire again, but rather so that we can discover how to have desires in a way that's help, helpful, helpful for ourselves and helpful for others. I have a friend who, <clears throat> she's been around Buddhism for a long time, and her way of um, interpreting for herself Buddhist teachings on being non-attached, is if you go out for dinner with her, you say, well, where should we eat? I don't care. It's all fine. What we order? Whatever you want. It's kind of irritating. You know, it'd actually be a lot easier if she just occasionally would say, "You know, it'd be nice to have Chinese today or Mexican or take some responsibility for it, just or participate. You know, in some way, say something and kind of and not just kind of be always empty, have no desires at all, as if that's a good thing. Sometimes when you say, "This is my desire." to someone, that allows the person to get to know you better. If you say, but if if that desire has craving as part of it, then it might be hard, the conversation. But if you can say, this is my desire, I don't know if it's a healthy desire, but I'd like you to know that this is part of who I am, I have this desire, and they can feel that you're not demanding and pushing, then they get to know you better and they can be a meeting of two people. And you can find your way better that way. But if you're always stuffing your desires or hiding it, or if you're always forcing it on other people, those two extremes, then, then there can't be the meeting of people. can't be a mutual recognition and finding people finding their way together. of the <clears throat> one of the meanings of liberation, it's kind of it's like kind of the great goal of Buddhism, become get liberated. It isn't that you're supposed to be liberated. Look at me, liberated person, thank you. But rather one of the meanings of liberation is to liberate your desire from clinging. to liberate desire from compulsion and if you know if desire is no longer compulsion as part of it then you you'll be free it's a lot easier to choose wisely and live freely when you have a desire and you, there's no need to act on it but you act on it if it's, if it's useful if it's helpful or timely to act on it And this points for me to <clears throat> part of one of the desires or, or interests or directions of this practice is not only to be here in the present moment, but to also discover a deep trust in the present moment. A deep trust that it's we allow the emerging of our life. We allow the unfolding of our life. We allow what's happening to come. We don't have to direct it all the time. We don't have to fix it all the time. We don't have to block it all the time. And that's one of the advantages of being on retreat. There's so little that's required of you on retreat compared to ordinary life. And, and, And luckily, you don't even have to be a good Buddhist in the Buddhist retreat. Isn't that isn't that good? I mean, you don't have to prove your. You know, this is a. You know, I hope you realize that. (laughs) Otherwise, you're in trouble. But you can just trust and be. it's part of this, get get quiet. Not because you're supposed to hold yourself still and quiet, but get still, quiet. As a part of the process of trust, trusting. That you don't have to. You can let what is in your heart and your mind come forth, come out, be there, discover who you are, what's there. The difficult, the easy, the good, the bad, whatever is there, but it all can be held in a field of trust or or confidence that it's okay. As you explore the difference between compulsion and desire between allowing something to come and holding on to it, between allowing some movement, thought, feeling to arise, and then making a self out of it, self-identity out of it. We do, we do, so, we do so much with what comes up. <clears throat> and part of practice, part of it with mindfulness is to learn to trust deeply, to allow what's there to come. And it's safe. It's safe to allow it to come when we've learned not to. When we've learned not to be compulsive. We've learned to see it clearly, and when we can see it clearly, and we can choose whether to act on something or not. And that whole process of seeing clearly, allowing, knowing what to choose, what to act on and what to not act on, is tremendously supported by your investigation, your discovery of how desires work for you. How does does desire operate inside of you? What are the different kinds of desires you have? When you're agitated and caught up in thought? what desires are fueling that behind that what are the de- what desires can you have that actually help settle you quiet you down what desires help you to let go of desires And then to end the talk, kind of where I began, here we are. We're here. And there's something very simple in ordinary, about here, especially on retreat, <clears throat> not much is happening on retreat. And the simplicity of here, on retreat, <clears throat> can can be if you're interested can be a great help to help you see how you make everything more complicated than it needs to be. Not much is happening here. What desires operate in you? How do desires make it more complicated? and what desires would help you relax, settle into here. So the simplicity of here and now becomes rich, delicious, peaceful, meaningful, a place of love and compassion. said at the beginning of the retreat, that a useful attitude to have is that whatever happens in the retreat was meant to happen. And that's still the case. I think it's a useful thing. But also internally, whatever happens internally as you sit here, whatever difficulties and joys you have, it's okay. Maybe it's meant to happen. And then the task is to learn how to practice with that. And today's theme but desire might be an interesting way to learn how to practice with it, discover what desires are operating, and how do you hold desire? Is there craving, or is there a a very likely held desire? What's going on? There can be many desires operating at the same time.